we have been in this little, this is week three of a short little four-week message series on marriage called All Life Long. We talked first, the first week about communication, the importance of integrity, the, the importance of intentionality, the importance of inspiration, speaking words of life. Last week, we talked about money. I wanted to give you a little update. So one of the tools we offered and said, hey, you need to do this is Financial Peace University. And I believe we've had some people give, you know, over the years, we had 11, because it's $130, because it's a, you get all this stuff with it. But we had the ability to give scholarships to 11 people or couples. Uh, you can either come as a single or you can come as a couple. But either way, it's, it's just the one price. And we were offering it for 35 bucks. Well, last week, the 8 o'clock service, there was a guy who came up to me and said, hey, listen, Somebody taught me these principles even before Dave Ramsey, but I'm a big follower of his. I want to bless. I'm, here's another $1,000. I, I want you to be able to offer it more. Somebody else showed up with $300. So here's the problem, though. We ran out of space in our class. And so I talked to, did I talk to you about this, dear? I've been wondering about that. Uh, I think I talked to Tammy. If not, we will this afternoon, I'm sure. Uh, but we are now offering a second class, Financial Peace University. It's on Tuesday nights. It's going to be in our home. Now, the one problem with that is we don't have the option of child care. But if you're a single or you're a married couple, and we still have, uh, as of going into this morning, eight scholarships so the 130 bucks and all that comes with that is only 35 dollars that's either for a couple or for a single folk and we're going to start on tuesday february 2nd uh start at 6 30 it'll run to about eight o'clock it's about an hour and a half but we'd love to have you apart but you can go to events.dscchurch.com and get signed up there next week we're going to talk about intimacy that's such an important part in marriage, uh, one that, again, I think our culture is really messed up. But this is kind of almost, because I, I know, especially in, in the 930 service here, we have middle school students. So PG-13, we'll, we'll keep it, I think, at a point where it's appropriate, but just want to give parents a little heads up. That's what we are going to talk about next week. And, uh, but it's a really important subject, and I think God has a lot to say about it, so that'll be next week. Today, we're going to talk about family. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, and like last week, I encourage you to turn there, but it's going to be a moment before we get there. Your screen will go blank, um, but don't worry. We are going to get there and bless you, by the way. Uh, family. Someone has said there's crazy in every family. If you think yours is the exception, you're probably the crazy one. <laughs> and there's so much to be said. The Bible says so much about family and how you deal with this. Uh, Proverbs. I tell you, you want, you want to, how to raise kids, go to the book of Proverbs. Right? So... We're going to deal with that. We're going to try to deal with some really practical things. I don't have a, you know, with all this big subject, I don't have a lot of time this morning for that. 
but we'll get there. But I want to start with this because as far as I'm concerned, this is the most important part. When we look at the craziness of the culture that you and I live in, I think it's actually the part that we've messed up the most is this first part, and that is the biblical hierarchy of relationships. What we have failed to do is to understand that the God who made us, the God who made us tick, the God who wired us, the God who made us for a relationship, by the way, the God who has been in relationship with himself for all of eternity, he is a God of community and of relationship, has a pecking order, a priority. And when we get those priorities out of whack, the relationships are going to be out of whack. I don't, I don't care what you do. God has a plan. And so to understand this will help make everything else. So you get it into this thing. And I'm just, I'm just maybe foolish enough to believe, but I've seen it in my life and I believe it with all my heart. Did you do it God's way? You're going to find life works better. And so you need to understand this hierarchy, the priorities, and keep number one, number one, and number two, number two, and all that. So what you got to understand is that the primary relationship in your life is not between you and your spouse or you and your kids, but it's between you and your God. It's always been like that. In fact, he created us to be his image bearers. That means that our identity... Our sense of purpose, our sense of meaning is all wrapped up in the fact that we know him and we bear his image to one another. And you think about even creation. God creates Adam and Eve, right? Do you remember that God did not create Adam and Eve at the same, same time? He created Adam first. It was just God and Adam. In fact, Adam's first moment of knowledge, of consciousness, existence, he's looking into the face of God who just gave him the kiss of life. It was God and Adam. So when God decides to make Eve, remember now Adam goes to sleep. The rib is taken. God now goes over here and creates Eve. It's not... Adam and Eve and God, it's God and Eve. That's number one. And now he brings her to him, and now it is this relationship where he walks with them and talks with them. But this is number one. Ten Commandments. Remember what number one is? You will have no other God before me. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is number one. I heard somebody put it this way once, and I love it. God doesn't play second fiddle. And when we fail to understand that the most important relationship in our life is not with our spouse and not with our children and not with our parents, but it is with our God, the rest of it isn't going to work too well. And, and the incredible thing is this. 
do you understand that in God's pecking order of his relationships that you're that? I mean, you look at the whole Testament. It is he is pursuing man. He sends his prophets. He sends his word. He ultimately sends Jesus, right, to restore what was lost. So Jesus, his own son, becomes one of us so that we can have relationship with him. Jesus goes to the cross and bears our sins and pays our penalty so that we could be forgiven. You know, one of the things that so often we forget, we talk about having eternal life, right? You, you put your faith in Jesus, you get eternal life. And for many people, when, when they hear eternal life, what they're thinking about is quantity of life. I don't mean to burst your theological bubble, but it's not about quantity of life. Because here's the thing, you are going to live forever whether you know Jesus or not. We were created in the image of God and we were given a spirit that is eternal. The question is, are you going to live eternally in relationship with him or apart from him? Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you. It's about relationship. And so Jesus pursued his relationship with you all the way to the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life. So much so that when you put your faith and trust in him, what happens? You become his child. Relationship. I love how John put this in John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now again, today, theology you know, of the world says everybody's a child of God. It's a nice thought. It's just not true. You become a child of God when you believe in his name. When you put your faith, your trust in him, you, you understand you cannot fix that relationship, but he fixed it for you. And to be honest with you, some of you he's pursued all the way to today to be here, to be online, to hear this, because he loves you so much. He wants relationship, and then once you put your faith in him, right, now what he wants you to do is build that relationship. How do you do that? Well, how do you build any relationship? You spend time together. How do you spend time with God? Through prayer, talking to him, through reading his word. It's his love letter to you. That has got to be number one. That has got to be number one. And I would argue with you that if that's not number one, your other relationships are going to suffer. So that's number one. Number two, then, if you are married, it becomes a husband and wife. This is, this is God's priority. In fact, the, the verse that is, you know, we read it. In fact, we've read it like three or four times. And, you know, there's so much there. But I think we miss this. I, I don't think we have any comprehension of what a, almost a complete countercultural verse this was. So when Moses wrote this, and then read it to the children of Israel. 
And he reads to them Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. Again, we, we look at it as the, it's all of that. But what we don't understand, what we miss is how countercultural that was. Because in the day that Moses wrote this, men did not leave their parents. In fact, the whole reason you had kids it was hopefully to get a boy, right? So the boy could take over the family business. It was mostly subsistence living. So whether it was shepherding or farming or doing whatever, you had boys. And oh, by the way, when they got married, the, the wife would come to you. Do you remember the story of Abraham who went to find a wife for, for Isaac? It wasn't Isaac who went back to Laban's house and met Rebekah, but it was he sent his service, and he, he went and got Rebekah. Rebekah left her house. That's the work. The women left their mother and father, but not the man. Do you understand what he's saying here? For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will be joined to his wife. And they will become one. This is more important than the parent-child relationship. It was revolutionary. And what's interesting is that today, we don't have that trouble. I mean, we're, you know, we're getting out of the house when we're 18, right? You know, and we're just, we're moving on, right? That's what men do, right? Tell you where this part gets screwed up today. It's on the opposite side. And that is a child parent. We've made little deities out of our kids. And so it's not our parents that are more important. It's our kids that are more important. And God says, no, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's about your husband and, and wife. The next relationship then is the parent-child. And God knew and God understood that raising kids was going to be too hard. It's difficult. And, and, and so the best way that this happens is with a mom and a dad there working together. I think the hardest job that anybody ever has to deal with, and some of you have to deal with it, is you are a single parent. And, and man, my, my, my heart aches for you. It's hard. Most of you know my story. I was a single parent. For nearly two years. And I tell you, without the extended family, without my mom, without my sister, I have no idea how I would have got that done. Man, it is hard. You know it's hard because you've got to be kind of both parents. You've got to provide. You've got to nurture. You've got to do all of that together instead of having a team. And oh, by the way, as a church, I truly believe that one of the greatest ways that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to come along single parents and help them. You know, maybe, maybe they need a pseudo-grandparents that can speak into their kids and give them a little break. Maybe they just need some financial help. And man, when you're set up, as we talked about last week, and you don't have any debt, and, and you got money in the bank, you, you can bless them. It's one of the greatest ministries that we can have as a church or to single parents, man. It's tough. 
And oh, jeez, the clock keeps moving so quick. So then the fourth one is then extended family, right? Extended family. So let's go to Ephesians. Let's talk about raising and nurturing kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So for those of you that are parents, let me just give you some real quick things of what the Word of God tells us. Number one, really your number one responsibility is to guide your children so that they learn to obey and to honor. Children obey your parents. I don't think when Paul wrote that, that his sense was that, hey, I need little two and three-year-olds to read this and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Because they're not. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the adults. This is your responsibility. Why? Why is it so important? Why is this like this number one thing of teaching them to obey and teaching them to honor? Well, I think it's kind of simple. If, if a child does not learn to obey and to submit to the authority of his parents, how hard is it going to be for them to obey and to submit to the authority of the Lord? What it, it, it just, it works this way. This is how you train them, and you train them like this. And, and I'll tell you again, our society's just gone off the rails, right? You know, so for the last 20, 30 years, we've been told if you, you know, if you correct little Johnny, you're going to hurt his, you know, his little ambition, right? And, and, and I tell you, who else I just, my heart is heavy for, you school teachers. I mean, I guess I've been made a little bit more aware of it because my daughter's, you know, in that profession now. But kids who have never learned to submit and kids who have never learned to obey, to understand authority, and now they come into the classroom and they don't listen, they disrupt everything, they don't learn anything, and we're playing this out across our country. Parents must guide their children to obey. Second thing we see there in verse 4 is, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. As parents, you've got to nurture your child's heart. The most precious thing about them is, is that, that spirit that they have, right? And to, to uh, encourage, to love, to, to, to build that spirit up of, you know, hey, God's just got this incredible future. God's got so much that he can do. And yet what parents do... Because, again, it's such an important relationship, uh, is they tend to crush that spirit. I, I think of what Proverbs says, the spirit of a man can endure sickness, but as far as a broken spirit, who can bear it? I mean, you, you even see that again. You look the last couple of years, and obviously there's been a lot of physical sickness, the COVID and stuff, and, and, and that's been difficult. But you know what's just plaguing people all across our country is not COVID as much as it is depression, isolation. Their spirit has, has been crushed. They've lost people that they loved. And so depression, suicide, and alcohol abuse, and drug abuse is just at a rampant pace. And man, so, so as a parent, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you nurture the child? Well, you love them, right? What, what is it that provokes a child to, to, to anger? Um... 
abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, uh, favoritism, um, unconsistent points of discipline. Man, as a youth pastor, I used to drive the kids I worked with crazy. What, what about... What about the idea of overprotection? You're nurturing their heart, right? Just like a little bird, they were made to fly. But you know what? They fly, bad things can happen, so we don't let them fly. Children, you know, parents, don't, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger. But bring them up and the nurture the admonition of the Lord. That, that's discipline, right? The discipline of the Lord. There's two types of discipline. There's preventative discipline, right? You want to teach them truth. Basically, what you want to do is you want to teach them to follow Jesus. Man, it is so important as a parent. And, and here's the thing, you know, as a church, we have Sunday school classes and we have youth groups, and right? And we want to help you do that. But the reality is everything we do here is supplemental because Christianity is more caught than taught. And, and the reality is the youth group couldn't undo what they were seeing from me in my home. And so for you to passionately follow Jesus, for you to talk to them about the things of the Lord, for you to talk to them about how important it is to follow Jesus and then they watch you do that, it's just absolutely crucial. That's the preventative side. Proverbs puts it like this, train up a child in the way he will go. Even when he's old, he won't depart from it. But the other side of discipline is corrective discipline. It means you correct them from sin. Oh, by the way, we're going to get back to the book of Hebrews a couple weeks. Ultimately, we're going to get to Hebrews 12. You know what it says about God and us, right? Relationship. We're his sons. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Why? Because he knows sin will kill us. Sin will eat us from the inside out. Sin will rot away the very things that he knows that our soul needs and wants. And so he, he disciplines us. He corrects us away from sin. That's the responsibility that we have as parents. Howard Hendricks, though, put it like this, and I think it's true. The effectiveness of corrective discipline is always determined by your relationship that you build with the preventative, teaching them to follow Jesus. Let's then talk real quickly about setting healthy boundaries with extended family. Because here's the thing, and oh, by the way, if you're not married, right? So what's your number one thing? It is, it is your relationship with God. By the way, that's just remind you, you're, you're not waiting for your other half. You're not waiting for somebody to complete you. You are complete in Christ and oh, by the way, if you're waiting for somebody to come and to complete you, you're not ready to be married because the reality is you're going to put expectations on somebody that they're not going to be able to do. You are complete in Jesus. But the nice thing is you can kind of tick number two off the priority, right? Because you're, you're not there, right? So sometimes the extended families move up. And extended families are, you know, can, can be a blessing, they can be a curse. They can be both. Uh, most of you, again, know my story. My first wife passed away, so I've been blessed 
with two sets of, of, of families outside of my own, right? I've had two great sets of in-laws. I love to think that Tammy and Pam have had a great set of in-laws, but the reality is, is that when you get out to the aunts, the uncles, the brothers, the sisters, I mean, there's some crazy out there. I mean, I even think of my family, and Tammy had to kind of get used to this, but I mean, we're elephant killers. I've told you, we love confrontation, so we, we're having a big meal. We're finding the elephant in the room, right? We're dragging it out right in the middle of the meal. It's fun for us. It's sport for us. You know, we only get disappointed when we can't find the elephant, right? We'll go make one up, right? We love that, right? It's just a little crazy, and you're going to find that because it's, it's different. So the question is, how, how do you do this? Well, you set boundaries. Great book, Boundaries by Henry Cloud. By the way, if you were here on Christmas Eve, and even if you weren't, you can get it now. We, we gave everybody a free subscription to Right Now Media. There's actually a, uh, like about an eight, ten-week Bible study on boundaries. So it was shot in 1990, so a little old in that, but the material is great. Here's the thing you got to understand about boundaries. Boundaries are for you. They're not against somebody. You set boundaries in because you are protecting for this reason a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and they become one. It's protecting your family. They're for you. What are some of the boundaries? Well, one of the boundaries is this. You got to remember that your business is your business. So some of you come from ethnic families. And they know everybody's business, right? Right? And they want to be involved. And that's just the way it works. But you've got to understand, no, 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 that's not how God did this. Right? We have to set boundaries. Our business is, is our business. And, and to be transparent, when, when my heart fell for this beautiful young lady over here, this was my one hesitation. She is a twin. Like an identical twin. It's always fun when Terry comes down because everybody does the, you know, the, this, the old, for those of you old timers, the old double mint commercial, right? That, that's them. And they're best friends. And so I sat her down because if I'm nothing, again, I'm direct, right? I, I like confrontation. So I sat her down and I said, listen, I, I'm concerned about something here. I know how close you and Terry are. And I know that you'll find this hard to believe, and I know you guys are going to find this hard to believe today, too. But I'm going to be honest. I said, Tam, my concern is this. There are going to be moments in time when I'm not trying to be, but I'm going to be a jerk. It just happens. I'm actually kind of good at it. I come from a long line of jerks, right? It's, and, and again, I don't want to be. It's not intentional in my life. But, but my concern is what you're going to do is you're going to pick up the phone and tell Terry, hey, Steve's being a real jerk. And you know what? She loves you, and she's going to agree with you. And she's going to tell you, why are you married to that guy, right? Why are you putting up with this, right? And all that. And I get, That's not going to be healthy. That's not going to be helpful. I said, Tammy, what I need you to do is I need you to tell me I'm being a jerk. Because I need to see it. I need to grow. I need to become a better husband. I need to become more like Jesus. And I stand today to give testimony. I should have put it on a video. That in 32 years, she's become really good at that. (laughs) 
But it's got to be our business. We have to deal with it. Because you know the old saying, blood's thicker than water? You go out to your family and you tell them about the issues that you're having, guess what? By and large, 90% of the time, they're going to they're gonna take your side and they're probably going to tell you things you don't need to hear. What you need to hear is you need to lean into your spouse and deal with the problem. Number three, when you think about boundaries, you've got to understand the power and use the word no. I love what Dave Ramsey says, no is a complete sentence. No. You know, you've got that relative who likes to put you on guilt trips, right? That's kind of their, their kind of work in that travel agency. Simple. No, I'm not going on that trip. No, we can't do that. No, that doesn't work. Now, now again, I'm not, I'm not saying say no to everything, right? In fact, the reality is you want to help when you can. So, so they come, and we're all wanting to get the family together, and I've got to rearrange himself. Okay, let me see if I can do it. If I can do it, I'll do it. But when there are things that don't work for our family, when there are things that are unhealthy, when there are things that would, would, would put us in a place, you know, maybe just even financially we can't afford, there's a simple answer. Thanks, but no, we can't. And when you talk about trying to, to, to help, one of the big things is, is though you don't want to enable. So somebody comes and, you know, and they need something. The problem is they need it is because they're, they're not dealing with it right. It's like you've got the alcoholic Uncle Bill who calls you from the bar and he's drunk. You can tell this, but he's out of money. He wants you to come. Do you give him money? No. Because you'd be enabling a drunk. So you don't enable. You help when you can. Let me finish with this. I'm out of time. But this one... I made this mistake. Tammy and I made this mistake. We're in this together, babe. <laughs> but with extended family, actually with anybody, but here's the thing. Don't ever borrow or loan money to someone trying to help. It changes everything. Remember last week we talked, we read that, that uh, verse out of Proverbs that the... Um, that the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, is that a literal thing? No, it's not literal. It's spiritual. It changes the relationship. So years ago, I mean, 27, 28 years ago, there was a family member who got into financial trouble. And they, they were desperate and they needed help. And Tammy and I, thought, hey, okay, well, let's help them. What's, what's, and so we, we borrowed, you know, we loaned them the money. Now, number one, and this is on me. So here are people in my family that can't handle money. I'm going to loan them money thinking that that's going to fix it and they're actually going to pay me back, right? That's on me. That's just stupid. But what I didn't anticipate was the fact that they couldn't pay me back because they're still not good with money would now cause them to start trying to distance, be uncomfortable around us because we were the master. To the point where it bothered us so much, 
and to be honest with you, it was good enough size of money. I mean, it, it did, I mean, it affected. But finally, we just came and we sat down with them and said, listen, we just feel like this is affecting our relationship. We don't want it to. So that was not a loan. It was a gift. And we tried to change it later. 20 years down the line, it's better, but I don't know that it still is what it was. So here's the thing. You got a family member that's in a pinch. You got the money. You feel like that's a great thing to do. Give it to them. It's a gift, right? No problem. But don't loan it to them because you are changing the dramatics of the relationship. And I know especially for parents and their kids, this is a hard thing to do. But I hate for you to be sitting down there 28 years down the line like I am going, man, I would never have done that before. God's ways are best. The borrower is slave to the lender. Don't borrow. You want to give it to him? Give it to him. So let me just finish with this. Question. So what are maybe some priority changes? Some parenting pivots? Some healthy boundaries that you as a family need to consider so that you have left your father and mother You've joined yourself to your spouse, and you become one.